would you just look at you? Look at you. You very little thing. With your smutty, smutty nose. Mm, look at it. Always be speckled brown. Sooty, dirty. Yeah. You're a smutty little Jackson. thing, ain't you? Jackson? Oh, hey. What are you doing? Ah, just a thing. Don't worry about it. I'm going to close out of this, okay? Another episode of Homegrown Thank you for joining us. My name is Jackson, and I am B. And uh, I've got I've got a fun episode planned for today. This is a uh, little disclaimer. This is old timey murder stuff today. I like old timey. Okay, for sure. I can deal. Uh, how are you doing though? I'm hot. <laughs> um, I'm coming in hot. I'm coming I am in hot, hot. <laughs> but that's all I'm saying about the weather. <laughs> yeah, no more weather talk. We were getting we're getting dangerously close to being the late. Weather that's podcast. the weather podcast. But it's September, and I am ready yeah. to get the spooky on. I'm ready for the spooky on. Um, I wanted to let you know about what I'm doing here, though. I've been helping you out with some yard work. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. It's very uh, on and off yard work. <laughs> and I've been a little bit, uh, I've been hurt by it, honestly. Because when I first started, you have this big bush in your front yard. And I said, B, I'm going to trim that bush. And, <laughs> and I've been and coming you tried. Out, and I tried really hard. I trimmed it. I did trim it successfully. But I have not been able to actually get the bush out of the ground yet. It is it's in there. I, I don't have, know how long it's been there. It's I, in there. <laughs> I've been digging deep on this thing. I cannot seem to find the bottom of this. There, <laughs> it is attached to something. But anyway, so in B's front yard, there is a completely trimmed bush with a lot of holes around it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's struggling. But You're struggling. I am struggling. I'm going to get it one of these days. It's hopefully just going to die at some point. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully before the season's out. I hope so, yeah. But it would be really nice because then we would have more room in the front yard to actually decorate for Halloween. I know. I really want to help you out with your, the yard situation too. So I'll get that bush out. Just give me enough room for me to get that like six fucking foot skeleton that Home Depot had last year and I'm I'm happy. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> decorations. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't have a segue, so I'm just going to get into it. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's so, do this. Okay, again, I got an old-timey murder here, um, and it's... I, I'm looking forward to this. So, are you familiar with the name Louis H.F. Wagner? No. No bells? Now, this is a no. Maybe a very faint bell somewhere in the back of my mind. You don't but have to nothing. lie to me. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> Louis H. F. Wagner, um, an axe murder that occurred on Smutty Nose Island. I do know Smutty Nose Island. You do know wait, Smutty wait, Nose wait, 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 wait. Okay, tell me the story. I think okay, I, know. Okay. I think I know this actually. Let me just do the setup here because I think the history and the relationships are very important to kind of get out of the way here on this rather than just getting into the murder itself. Sounds good. I like context. 
There we go. So we're talking about the Isle of Shoals. Smutty Island. Uh, Smutty Nose Island is well, Smutty Island. <laughs> um, the Isle of Shoals has uh, is a small chain of islands that is split between Maine and New Hampshire. Yes. As you're kind of looking at these islands, this is the very southern tip, basically, of Maine going into New Hampshire. And these islands are split around Cedar Island and um, Gosport Harbor as the main intersection of where the border is. Up north of that, you have Cedar Island and then Smutty Nose. And that's all kind of connected really by like breakers, but there's just a small chain of islands all connected. And for a long time, these islands were not inhabited. Smutty Nose Island, which is the location of the story we're looking at here today, is only 25 acres. And there's nothing on it. It is completely barren. It's smaller it's, than Wood Island. It's smaller than Wood Island. It is just rocks, grass, and a lot of wind. For about 400 years, it was sparsely populated and it had some fishing villages. Today, it's the home of a lot of private homes on this chain of islands. Um, a large seasonal hotel on Appledore. And then we're looking at a marine research facility. Uh, these okay. islands were first discovered by Captain Christopher Levitt and his fleet in 1623. And he describes the islands as, uh, Upon these islands, I neither could see one good timber tree, nor so much good ground as to make a garden. <laughs> Barren, gross, and just totally small. Um, I know uh, it probably costs six million to have a home there of course yeah it's like i gotta make sure that i have my private island away from the plebeians around me <laughs> yeah i'm sure the property i need uh, an ocean between me and the middle class yes exactly <laughs> but as of today i don't think there's anything really on smutty nose island right now there is a memorial of uh, some graves of spanish sailors but that's okay. about it and those were erected a long time ago the rocky and very smutty nose is just about uh, six islands away from the coast of New Hampshire and within the boundaries of Maine, as we described. Uh, a little piece of unconfirmed history of this location is that supposedly it is the resting place of Blackbeard's last bride. And, Seriously? Yes. And, so, and there are legends supposedly that uh, the ghost of Blackbeard's bride uh, continues to wait on smutty nose supposedly saying he will come again in reference to blackbeard but apparently this was in 1720 it was the last honeymoon that blackbeard ever had this is also his 15th wife i am putting this on my bucket list that's where we're gonna spend the night there you gotta absolutely <laughs> um but okay the island's part of york county and the town of kittery and uh when you know smutty nose the name kind of coined itself from supposedly fishermen that saw the island with uh, along the sea level and noticing how the seaweed at one end made the island look like the smutty nose of a large sea creature. So let us talk about our cast of characters. I was just going to ask you real quick, do you know what the word smutty means in the context of it being on a fish? Uh, no, not in the context of being on a fish. I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, do I know? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, smutty Nose, I, I, I would imagine like, well, we know Smutty Nose, uh, Smutty Nose Brewery. Yeah. I would, I would assume it is like the kind of pressed up sort of like slitted look of a fish. 
and also, their nostrils. Also, do you hear Banks in the background? Yeah, that's my cat in the background. He's very mad that I'm uh, in here recording. <laughs> and not out there with him. Not out there with him. He gets all my attention and he demands. I can't find anything attention. on Google except for Smutty Nose Brewing, so we'll come back to that maybe one day. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> never will approach this again. <laughs> Smutty okay. nose, you guys right. figure it out. Cast of characters. Okay, so in the year of 1868, John and Marin Hontvet had arrived on Smutty Nose all the way from Norway. At this time, they were the only people living on the island, and by all accounts, John Hontvet was an industrious businessman. He was a fisherman by trade. He worked hard on his schooner, the Clarabella, and basically his day-to-day was, you know, catching his trawlers, uh, getting his haul, and selling it off in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, you had it right the first time. Portsmouth. Is it Portsmouth? Portsmouth. It's not Portsmouth. It's Portsmouth. This is wrong. No. <laughs> well, and yeah, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, before long, the Honvets had established a nice home on Smutty Nose, and uh, they lived pretty comfortably for the time, just due to John's like tenacious business acumen and um, ability to just kind of work through every day just to get a good catch. In 1870s, the Hotfits met Louis Wagner, a muscular Prussian fellow that had come over. He has a thick accent. Uh, the Hotfits kind of felt badly for Louis initially because he was pretty much down on his luck when he first met them. And they had sort of developed a neighborly relationship with each other as he was a neighbor on the island. He even stayed with them a little bit at the time, mm-hmm. but he was kind of kept to himself. He didn't really talk about his past at all. You know, he wasn't really someone that was very outspoken by accounts here, but he was somebody that the Hanfets, you know, felt for. They wanted to help him out. They wanted to see him back on his feet. So he arrived around 1870. In May of 1871, Marin's sister, Karen Christensen, had arrived to Smutty Nose Island from Norway as well. Here on Smutty Nose, she worked as a live-in maid with a family on Appledore Island. Uh, Appledore Island is just north of Smutty Nose, and that is the location, actually, of the seasonal hotel that I had mentioned previously. And also, a note, as you're saying this, I definitely know this story. You know this story? I do know this story. Absolutely. Yes. This is so famous. I I was kind of... I I would be surprised if you didn't, like, hear about this initially. But I'm sure everybody else has heard of this as well, but still... So, 1871, Marin's sister Karen comes to the island now. And in June of 1872, uh, John had actually hired Lewis for assistance in growing his fishing business. He, you know, he's done very well. He could use another extra set of hands to make the work a little lighter because, you know, he's working hard for his family. Lewis seems trustworthy enough, so he could probably handle it. Soon after, though, in October of that year, 1872, more arrivals came to Smutty Island. John's brother, Matthew Honfit, and uh, Marin's brother, Evan Christensen, and Evan's wife, Aneth, joined as well. Altogether, we have five people now living at the location. And, you know, we also have um, Karen, who is working as a maid across the way from Appledore, which is just about a quarter mile from Smutty Nose. So really really close are they all just living on the island or are they all living together the five are living on the island together they're but they're not in the same building 
I think they are in the same building because they oh, okay. it looked like when you look at the pictures of the shack or, well, the home they were in, it's a duplex situation. Was it a chicken coop? <laughs> it was a chicken coop. Uh, it was a duplex that they're living in at the time here. Okay. Yeah. That's a full house. Yeah, it was a lot of, it's a full house. Lewis is helping uh, John out with the business, but John doesn't really need Lewis anymore at this point now that he's got his brother, Yvonne, yeah. here. Um, so within this moment, uh, you know, the Hunfits actually helped set Lewis up with some additional work on the vessel, the Addison Gilbert. And Lewis was able to leave Smutty Nose, ready to tackle his own work and his own ventures. But unfortunately, pretty quickly after Lewis got hired by the Addison Gilbert, the Addison Gilbert was wrecked. And Lewis was back to being destitute, living in Portsmouth. And at the time of this recounting, as we're leading up to it, he's destitute. He only has one set of clothes and he is three weeks late on his rent. So he is not doing well. We know what happens when you're late on your rent. Yes. You murder a family. (laughs) That's also, that really sucks. You're unemployed because your place of work is destroyed, basically. Yeah, no, there's no safety net in uh, the 1870s for this kind of stuff. Literally a safety net? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, nothing here. Uh, uh, That sucks. Yeah, I'm not sure what, how it got wrecked at all, but you know. Just a bad turn of luck for Lewis. Maybe seemed like a nice guy, seemed like he was going to be on a good path, but just really hitting a lot of bad luck left to right at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's really just working on the wharves of Portsmouth at this time, okay. barely making enough to survive. He's not doing very well. So now we move into the nitty gritty, the nasty business. On the morning of March 5th, 1873, John, Matthew, and Yvonne set sail for work. You know, going to go catch their hauls, bring their trolls in. My cat's screaming more outside. I'm sure that's being picked up. <laughs> I kind of hope it is. <laughs> He's a very talkative boy. I'm going to take a quick break. <laughs> okay, we're back. Thank you very much. Just had to take care of cat business. He's all good. Getting back into this, we're going to be talking about the actual tragedy and the murder itself that makes Smutty Nose Island so infamous. On the morning of March 5th, 1873, John, Matthew, Yvonne went to go to work to go get their catch of the day. As per tradition and, you know, per their schedule, they'd go into Portsmouth with their haul. Now, on this morning, though, they had heard that the bait train from Boston would be arriving into Portsmouth pretty early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So normally they would go back to the island and have somebody stay at the home, at least a man have to stay at the home that night just to keep an eye on things. But to kind of accommodate the schedule of the bait train, they decided to stay the night in Portsmouth, come back in the morning once they uh, had gone ahead and purchased more bait. Mm-hmm. Upon their arrival to Portsmouth, who do we find but Lewis helping to bring in the Clarabella to port? And actually, Lewis was the one to go ahead and help more the Clarabella. At that time, you know, John, Matthew, and Yvonne knew uh, Lewis and were familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And Lewis had actually inquired, oh, are you guys staying the night? And they, you know, they said yes. I mean, it is a prying question, but they didn't think anything of it. And that if when they were planning on coming back and they said the morning after the bay train arrives 
not that I mean that is prying, but it wasn't unusual. Lewis has a personal relationship already with the family of right. Smutty Nose. So they were answering truthfully with them. At Smutty Nose, the Smutty Nose home, we have Marin, Aneth, and Karen actually all staying. Now we know that Karen was a live-in maid, but she was recently fired from her position. And so she is staying at home awaiting the next opportunity and job. So she had actually, um, I believe she was going down to Boston for her next bit of work or even Portsmouth for a new opportunity at some labor. But she was staying at the home at the time. They got the news from another passing fisherman that uh, they were not expecting the men to return that evening. So they were able to get word back to the, back to the home. So around 10 p.m., everybody retired. Marin and Aneth had gone ahead and taken the same bedroom for the night. Karen was sleeping on the lounger in the kitchen. It is estimated and reported, supposedly around 1 a.m., Lewis has entered the home from the north-facing door, and upon entering the home, Jerry rigs a door that is shared between the bedroom and the kitchen to keep it from opening. At this moment, Lewis then proceeds beating Karen with a chair, and during this altercation, a clock that was behind the lounger that Karen was in uh, was struck and fell off the mantle, and the time was stuck at 1.07 a.m., which is around the estimated time that all of this had started on Smutty Nose Island. So we know we have, what... We have a very good understanding of like when this all started happening at, on March 6th, 1873, um, at 1.07 a.m. How... how... Auspicious. Is that the right word I want to use? It's just very strange that it's... That we have, like, this much detail to something this old? Specifically that the clock, like, the clock is such a big piece of evidence. Because sometimes when things like this happen, we don't have a clear idea. Yeah. Well, it's just, I think it's just happened like, you know, just chance. Maybe it was a little off. It might not have been a perfectly accurate clock. We have a pretty good idea, at least from how the clock fell. Yeah, 1.07 a.m. was around the time this was all going down on the island. Now, Karen was being, is being beaten with a chair in the kitchen. And we have Lewis in here. So, well, no one really knows it's Lewis. And actually, as Karen is being attacked, she first says, Oh, John scared me. And then, John is killing me. She is screaming this to Aneth and Marin in the bedroom. So she believes that she is being attacked by John, but still makes it interesting when we're talking about witness testimony. Um, right. But Karen is not dead at this point about being beaten with a chair. And while she is being attacked, Marin is actually able to open the door that is jerry-rigged, and Karen is taking refugee under her table as she's being attacked. Marin is able to pull and drag Karen into the bedroom and then shuts and locks the door behind her. So at this point, they're trapped in their own home with a killer on the loose, um, just trying to hold this back. Lewis attempted to hit Marin with the chair while, he, while uh, she was grabbing Karen. Mm-hmm. Around this time, Aneth is fleeing through the window, trying to get out and trying to find some help. Unfortunately, though, Lewis catches Aneth trying to escape through this window to the bedroom. So he went out 
he had gone outside at this point to try to, I guess, probably get a look into the room. And at this time, Aneth is escaping through the window. I, I'm not, it's not really clear when exactly this happens, but Lewis grabs an axe that is lying around and approaches Aneth, and Aneth is screaming, Lewis, 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 exclaiming that she recognizes that this is now Lewis, this is not John, this is Lewis. And at that point, she is struck dead with the axe. Lewis retreated from the front of the home uh, and then entered the home again. At this time, he's trying to enter the bedroom through the kitchen door. Marin is trying to console Karen and trying to get Karen up, but unfortunately, Karen is so out of it from the attack with the chair that she is beaten and exhausted and she claims she is too tired to go on. Marin, you know, recognizing she's not in the best situation, realizes that she is probably going to die if she sticks around. And she exits through that same window that Aneth left and runs off into the night. She hid till dawn among some rocks and around the shore. By the time dawn hits, she then leaves her hiding spot. At this point, Karen is dead and strangled in the kitchen or well in the bedroom. And the only thing that's really left behind is an empty pocketbook on the floor that was rifled through. That is horrifying. I, I mean, just waiting. Waiting till morning. Yeah. Knowing what probably has become of your family members. Yeah, just sleeping soundly and then within minutes just experiencing the most horrendous thing that could ever happen in your life. All in 1873, no idea who's coming to help, if there's anybody to reach out to. Because you're on an island. Yeah, you're on an island, you're stuck. So when Marin um, finally got to dawn, she uh, crossed over to the, the breakwater and this is March, freezing water. Mm-hmm. She crossed the breakwater over to Malagala Island, which is just a tiny bit north of Smuny Nose, and was motioning over to Appledore Island, which is just, again, a quarter mile away. Right. Was able to motion neighbors, and the neighbors came over to check on her. The person that came over, his name was Jorge Inger Bredson. He, along with a group of men, searched Smuddy Nose for uh, the attacker. And it was uh, Jorge that ended up finding Aneth and Karen at the homes initially. There was no sign of Lewis or any attacker at all. All that was left again was Karen, Aneth, dead, with an empty pocketbook in the home and bloody footprints kind of dotted around the perimeter of the home, supposedly looking for Marin. So it's March. Do you know if it's snowing or if there has been snow? In some of the reports, they do state that there was snow on the ground and there was frost, not a huge amount. And this period where Matthew, um, where the boys are going off to fish, this is apparently like one of the first fishing opportunities that they've gone out to outside for the year, for the season. Yeah. To just kind of get out there. Um, well, there's an empty pocketbook also, and I just thought this would be some information, but Marin describes everything that's in the pocketbook. She says that inside of the pocketbook, there was a silver half dollar, a lot of coppers, and a single small white porcelain button. This was everything. And some reports estimate that this is about $15 worth of goods inside of this pocketbook. So at the time, you know, not bad, but also worth killing two people over? Probably not. Absolutely. (laughs) Killing two people and attempting a third. Yeah. 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 We're getting to March 6th. This all kind of like happens really quickly. Mm -hmm. 
But the evening of March 6th, a stolen dory is reported and is now found uh, just outside of Newcastle. And later that evening, Lewis is apprehended by the Boston police and brought back via rail to Portsmouth. His pockets were searched and used as evidence in his trial. And in his possession was a silver half dollar, some coppers, and a small white porcelain button. Good on Marin for remembering everything that was in her pocketbook. Yes. I could not tell you everything that's in my pocketbook. And now what's interesting about that case also is that throughout this accounting, Marin technically has never seen the killer's face or didn't at that moment of altercation. There was some stuff that there was, um, she gave testimony later to Celia Thaxter, mm-hmm. which is later becomes a famous poet. She gave some testimony later, but within the initial court proceedings, there really isn't any uh, evidence that Marin actually saw the face of the killer. The All she had to go from was Aneth screaming. It was yeah, Lewis. I was going to say, Aneth is technically the only one who saw that it was Lewis. Yes. And they kind of take that. But the fact that he had pretty much Everything. the same pieces of evidence that was missing. She told them this is what was in there. Yes, it's circumstantial. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I feel like that's really all you, like, at that point in time, that's all you really have. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, you don't have a whole lot, unfortunately. But I mean, the motive is there, supposedly. Lewis is down on his luck. He knows this family. He knows where they live. Seems easy. He knows that the boys are in for the night. So it's just another reason to not trust people. Yeah, don't trust people. Don't trust Prussians with heavy accents. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis uh, rode rail with the Boston police all the way up to Portsmouth. And along every train stop, there was a crowd of people that had heard about what Lewis did outside screaming, ready for blood. And as Celia Celia Thaxter has uh, said in her accountings of the murder, around Portsmouth when he finally entered, there were thousands of people screaming in the street, throwing bricks. And as Celia says... Those men would literally have torn him to pieces if they got a hold of him. They were demanding blood right then, right there. They didn't care about a trial. They are just looking for a treat. I'm also wondering if there's any tension between the immigrant communities. Oh, man. Because that sometimes can also exacerbate something, can exacerbate a crime. I mean, I understand, like, it's absolutely horrible. It's absolutely horrible what he did. Mm-hmm. But the response is very strong. Mm-hmm. This is a horrendous crime. This is, you know, Smutty Nose doesn't really have a huge history. Mm-hmm. This is the history. Yes. When you look at different records, like, people talk about this murder. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing that's happened. There's a small community, maybe 50 people lived nearby. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot going on in the Isle of Shoals. Mm-hmm. Lewis was tried in May of 1873 by the Supreme Judicial Court of York County in Alfred, Maine. The trial lasted nine days and deliberation lasted 55 minutes until Lewis was sentenced to death by hanging. Lewis's representation, though, tried to make an interesting case that we can see from the documents stating that Maine does not have the jurisdiction to try him, believing... Sort of trying to say that, oh, no, Smutty Nose is in New Hampshire jurisdiction. So all of the evidence, all of the proceedings cannot be used because it was Maine that's uh, applying their jurisdiction, but this should be New Hampshire. So he was trying to run through this saying as if, like, because of the jurisdiction issue now, it's like New Hampshire. In great grueling detail, 
you know, the lawyers had to go through the old charters, old annexation reports, all this evidence basically to say, nope, Smutty Nose is very much part of Maine. Sorry. Thank you for playing. <laughs> that remind, like, reminds me when I was, when we did like career day, mm-hmm. um, I went and I job shadowed my mother and she worked in real estate law mm-hmm. and that's what part of what she did. Well, she went over like charter and boundaries and things like that. Just to figure <laughs> out like how. So I did it for like fifteen minutes and gave up. <laughs> I cannot imagine just doing it until everybody kind of agreed on the outcome. Ugh, I couldn't imagine anything more boring. So absolutely <laughs> grueling. It is grueling. So he's bringing up the jurisdiction question. Also, his defense was saying that. He was giving his own account of what happened. He originally said, he told the boys that he would come by and help them set bait um, and bait traps for their trawlers for the morning and work with them. But when the bait train arrived around 12.30 a.m. into Portsmouth, he was nowhere to be found. His testimony is that he got too drunk at the bar and then he was wandering back to where he lived with this family called the Johnsons at the time. And he kind of laid out the route that he took. In officer reports of, uh, you know, patrols that went around the area, they said we did not see Lewis along these routes at all. And there were reports also of him being seen by people around the morning, looking a little nervous and a little haggard and a little beaten. Guy also only has one set of clothes, so he's probably looking a little beaten all the time. That is true. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that he was actually drinking? Do you think that that is true? He might have been drinking. Um, You'd have to be to come up with this kind of idea, thinking it's a good idea. It could have been possible he was drinking at this point. You know, we have no idea to actually know that. Yeah. As far as we could tell, people estimate that he might have left um, Portsmouth around 10 10 p.m. to get over there. If it was all going to work out. And yeah, he could have been drinking beforehand and then come up with this idea to go there. There's different uh, understandings of like, there's different ideas out there of like what he was going for. But one possible thing floating around was that he knew that there was a stash of money secured somewhere around the home. And that he was just going to go ahead and try to find it. A couple hundred dollars worth, you know. Mm -hmm. Something that he could probably use to turn his life around at that moment. Or at least like give him some more comfort. And you may get into this. Do you think that he meant to go there and kill them? I do not think he went there to go kill them. It just happened in the course of him attempting to commit burglary. I think he realized that once he was identified that he was in pretty deep on something and that he probably saw killing as his only option to get out of there without being identified, which is horrifying. He would even come up with the idea to go ahead and rob his friends or former friends in the first place. So he was uh, nine days on the trial. He was sentenced to hang. After a sentence, about a week later, Lewis broke out of prison. (laughs) Somehow he was able to break out of prison, but he was quickly recaptured in New Hampshire and put back in prison. Where was he being held? He probably was in between jailhouses or something. Just random little, you know... Because I'm just trying so to think of how far he he got before he got caught. 
They had to have been at the courthouse or something at that point. So in Alfred. Yeah. I'm not sure how far it is from Alfred to New Hampshire. No idea but. either. We know that he was able to escape a week later, and then he very quickly recaptured. Mm-hmm. On June 25th, 1875, two years later, Lewis was led into the yard of the state prison in Thomaston, Maine, and hanged. Oh, he was probably in Thomaston then. Was he in Thomaston? That's the state prison. You don't think he was at the state prison? Oh, I have no idea. I didn't look in that deep, unfortunately. <laughs> if he's in Thomaston, that's quite a ways. Yeah. Because from here, Thomaston is under a little under two hours. Gotcha. Okay. Hmm. And then from here to New Hampshire is like another hour. Wow. Okay. Okay. So if he was in Thomaston, he made it kind of far. <laughs> <laughs> made it quite a bit. Well... At any, at any rate, you know, his story ends just a terrible tragedy. And I also have to say, he was playing it apparently really cool until the end throughout his whole trial. The, re- the newspaper reports that I was able to read described Lewis as calm, composed, and smiling. Like he would be acknowledging, like, Ivan came in because he was also being tried or investigated for the murder of his wife. Because they were looking at all the different options available to them at the time. So they had to go ahead and investigate everybody. That's true. Okay. So Evan was also Because Marin didn't see who did it. And yeah. also the fact that Karen yelled John, John. So she had... Both of the victims yelled different names. They had to look into everything. They didn't have, you know, the best evidence to hang on to everything. What they had available at that time, all the other testimonies, finger points at Lewis. And yeah, also... Because he Eden. had... Everything that Marin said he would have. Yeah. If he didn't have that button, though, he probably, there probably wouldn't have been enough to say. Absolutely we can't not. It's say the button it's because yeah. he could hypothetically have the same type of money that were, was in the um, silver dollar. Yeah. And he could have had the, the coppers. Yeah. He could have had the half silver but dollar. It's the little white. It's the porcelain, porcelain button. button. Describe the way it was. Shit. I know. Small, the smallest detail. All it takes, man. That's so he it. just grabbed everything that was in it. Yeah, and apparently, like, there was another pocketbook nearby, but it looks like he just grabbed everything in this one book and dashed. And that belonged to Karen, the person that he strangled. So he picked that off. Oh, that's right also probably why it didn't have very much in it. Yeah, exactly. Because she was also unemployed at this point. At this point, unemployed, between work, not a whole lot there. So, Lewis, was it worth it? <laughs> we could ask him. We could do a seance right here. <laughs> um, not today. I don't fuck with seances. No, no fucking with seances. I don't fuck with seances. Sorry. Let the ghost come to you. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I mentioned this is a big piece of history for Smutty Nose and the Isle of Shoals. This is like recorded in every little. It's very like there are so many books about this murder, little details. What was the year again? 1873. So this was 20 years before the Wood Island murder. Yeah, 20 years before Wood Island. So what's up with all these historical murders happening around this time? <laughs> late 1800s were rough. And it, it, is, it is kind of similar where it's someone who's kind of down on, down on his luck, laid on rent, mm-hmm. kind of is pushed to a this possible extreme. Act of desperation within yes. the moment. But like I'd say... 
Wood Island one is a little bit more um, in the moment murder. Yes. This is premeditated. This is premeditated. The guy has to row from Portsmouth six miles up into Smutty Nose. Yes. That was definitely premeditated. And that's why I was wondering if he was drunk. Maybe that was he was like, or was drinking. A little bit of liquid courage was like, yeah. This is I'm going to do it. This is a stellar idea. All this inspiration came from these murders. It was a big moment in history for this area. Um, some kind of notable stuff uh, as far as this is concerned. I had mentioned uh, Celia Thaxter. Celia Thaxter is the daughter of um, her parents actually owned the hotel that was on Appledore that was nearby. Karen had actually worked there previously. Celia Thaxter wrote a whole story about the kind of, in sort of like a, a, an initial first example of crime writing. And this is like a for one of those first things, but it's the it's called a memorable murder, and she lays out basically with this testimony and all these other details that she brought up and kind of described like the horrendous act act of Lewis. Very clear that she does not think highly of Lewis at all, and does point out the fact that he is manipulative, he is sneaky, he is dark, he's mysterious, he is. A not a good person. With a heavy uh, accent. Crush. Watch out, guys. <laughs> this also inspired some other uh, interesting works. Quite recently, Anita Shreve wrote the novel *The Weight of Water*, published in 1997, which follows the story of a journal, a photojournalist uncovering accounts of this famous axe murder on Smutty Nose and her struggles with her marriage at the same time, which also inspired another film by the same name. Uh, starring Elizabeth Hurley, Sarah Pauly, Sean Penn. The film received a 5.9 out of 10 stars on IMDb. So we're going to watch it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is a main film. <laughs> we're definitely going to watch this bad boy. What do you think of my murder? I, it's, 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 it's another one of those things where it's like, just because you're in Maine, just because you're on an island does not mean you're safe. No, it feels like you're less safe. Two out of our our, uh, four stories right now, I'm not counting one, two out of our three murder (laughs) stories, it's been on an island. I think that's got to say something right there. Yeah, it's been on an island. That and also, all of the murders that we have covered, the victims knew their murderer very intimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crimes of passion. Which, that that does track Mm -hmm. with a lot of the statistics. Where you are more like, if you're going to be murdered, you're going to know your murderer. Exactly. Random acts of violence. The motive is there, and, you know, the evidence is pointing to Lewis. There are a lot of works, though, that I was kind of combing through that do sort of say, well, it's like, well, we can't fully rely on Marin's testimony here and the testimony Mm -hmm. of two dead people. And then also some forensic uh, people kind of like tried to break down the scene and try and kind of question, would Marin get a good visual look at the murderer? Do the details of what the murderer was wearing at the time match to what Lewis the had one, available at the The one, the one outfit that Lewis had. Yeah. Well, it was actually funny. So Lewis claimed in the depiction of the initial look at the uh, person and the clothes that uh, Lewis was wearing that night. It was described that uh, one detail that stood out was a uh, sort of a, a broad browed hat that w- the murderer was wearing. The person didn't seem like equipped to row 
so extensively. So people were saying, well, maybe it was more of a local person that went ahead and killed this family. Lewis also wasn't equipped to row at that time either for six miles. He only had one pair of clothes at the time, warm shoes. And while he said that he did not own this hat, everybody else said that this is a hat he owns. <laughs> so I don't know. I think Lewis is full of it. And uh, are there yeah. so there are people who go with other theories. A lot of people seem to think that maybe he wasn't found out. And I mean, I think the weight of water almost talks about that. I haven't seen it. Didn't read into it. I don't want to spoil it for us. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, understand. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation that. They don't have all the details, which, yeah, they're not going to have all no, the details. No, they definitely do not. But, I I mean, and and I don't know if you found any other, like, it, it seems like the evidence, that the, the one piece of evidence that's the nail in the coffin is that stupid button. Yes. I think if it, without the button, I think Lewis would have gone free. I think you're right. Um, or a mob would have murdered him. Like, at that point, if, like, <laughs> this was all pinned on him and he... He still was picked up as maybe the only reasonable person. He would have, maybe he would have just gone right to the to execution. I don't know. The public would have been out. Um, public would have been outcry enough there. Yeah, uh, it's again. It, it is really interesting that so far we are seeing a pattern in a lot of the horror that we are seeing come out of. And we've also chosen things that are on islands in small towns. I think we're really, really trying to like corner what's like fun about Maine and unique <laughs> about Maine so yeah murders on islands that's uh, that's a good one I mean we have I mean there are plenty of things that are not fun that we will get into oh yeah for sure as we go but I love I loved this thank you very much you're very welcome and I'm glad to hear that you also knew about this story so yeah I, think I don't know if I, have you learned anything new today I didn't know the trial stuff you didn't know the trial stuff I didn't know the trial stuff you're welcome. I have to read that so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like case stuff. It's Let's go through all of the case text. Could I read any more information about jurisdictional boundaries? <laughs> I'd love to read more. Thank you. If they had determined that the jurisdiction was in New Hampshire, would they have just moved the trial to New Hampshire? That's the thing. I don't understand what his end game was necessarily. Maybe they would have dismissed all the evidence at that point, but the guy still murdered two people. I don't see them, you know, sweeping that under the rug, especially with the public outcry on this. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So I don't know what his end goal was, or maybe it was just to delay the situation. Delay the situation so that way maybe more evidence could be brought forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Or disproven somehow. Just bullshit his responses. So you believe that Lewis did it? Oh yeah, 100%. I agree. <laughs> I agree. That button, as a seamstress, that button. <laughs> that button. It seems, I love that too. It's so old timey. Like, I feel like I'm reading a, a novel. A novel, yeah. It's like, and the button was in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's a detail Stephen King would be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let's um, switch gears and stall this vehicle into my mainism for today. Mainism, it's yeah. a mainism. Hey, hey, it's a mainism. All right, what do you have for me? My mainism is just a little phrase here um, that I'm a little confused by. I thought it was weather related, so I'm sorry for bringing up a weather related thing right now. <laughs> 
Wicked Pissa. Wicked Pissa. <laughs> what does that mean? So Wicked Pissa is, it's when it's pissing outside. Just hard rain. Very hard rain. Yeah. I, I think sometimes people will use it also in relation to like snow, but usually it's shit's coming out of the sky. <laughs> just rain or is it just hardcore weather? It's a wicked it, pissa. It's, I, th- the way that I use it is if there's precipitation of kind of a kind. Mm, gotcha. Whether it's snow or rain, maybe some hail. <laughs> The worst is freezing rain. Tip it, yeah, it's it's kind of like our, it's raining cats and dogs. I was driving up the I-5 and I got into a wicked pisser. <laughs> you make good. It's, <laughs> it's an anomaly. It's a, a wi- wicked pisser outside. Wicked pisser, a, a weather w- anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and I, it's interesting because wicked is also another very quintessential main thing. Mm-hmm. We use wicked as a as a way to amplify because it can be a good thing. Yeah, wicked good. Wicked smack. Wicked smack, or like wicked piss out, where it's like it's so fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of talking about wicked, but I was like, ah, we don't need to. Go. Wicked That's is just super general, but yes, general wicked piss out. Yeah, wicked piss out. That your weather your weather thing. term for today is wicked piss out. Don't get caught in that wicked piss out. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, stay out of those wicked pisses. Look out for fishermen. Look out for Prussians with thick accents. Look out for Prussians with thick accents. Look out for Prussians with thick accents. Thank you very much, everybody, for another edition of Homegrown Horror. Goodbye. Hey, listeners. My sources for today's gruesome story... Uh, got a couple things here, but True Crime, an American anthology published in 2008, which contains the story A Memorable Murder by Celia Thaxter. Also have The History of the Isles of Shoals in Boone Island, So Close and Yet So Far, by Peter Fortune, published in 2011 and revised in 2016. Professionalinvestigatormagazine.com, Forensic Perspectives Regarding the Wa- Wagner and the Smutty Nose Axe Murders. Portland Daily Press Clipping, published June 11th, 1873. JSTOR.org, the Supreme Judicial Court of Maine, the state versus Louis H.F. Wagner from the American Law Register, 1852 to 1891, volume 22, number two. NewEngland.com, Isles of Shores, Murders, Horror on Nose Island. And the Hampton Library website, X marks the spot where treasure lies. You can reach out to us on our Twitter at HGHPod or on our Instagram at HomegrownHorrorPod. We hope to see you again soon.